welcome to Deeper, a podcast of Wollongong Baptist Church. The podcast aims to follow the sermon series and to take our congregation deeper into God's Word. Hello and welcome to this episode of Deeper. Sarah, you sound different today. <laughs> I was are, are you sick? What's going on? Well, Sarah is sick. Oh, this is true. So Sarah, who are you? I, I'm Kate Cole. Oh, interrupted my intro. We've we met. have met. In fact, last time I was in here, I was with you. You were. Maybe this is a thing, Mark. Maybe. <laughs> Every time I'm doing the podcast, you're going to re-emerge. <laughs> Sarah will fall, fall ill. Um, well, I was going to say to people, don't feel like you've accidentally clicked on a previous episode or anything like mm. that. It, you, you are, it is the 15th of March, 2023. It really is. And here we are, ready to talk about Matthew chapter 6. Yeah. But before we do that, I'm keen to hear about the prayer and praise night that happened last night. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Sure can, yeah. Uh, we prayed and we praised. Uh, it was awesome. lovely. Um, we spent time praying, particularly for... Uh, our whole church to respond to the truths that we've been learning through the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. That was a really sweet time of just remembering the things that Jesus has been teaching us and praying that uh, our brothers and sisters would be living by the Spirit's help in light of these things. That was really worthwhile. Mm. Prayed for some other churches and ministries, heard from some updates from various people that we partner with in in mission. So we prayed for them. Uh, And then we uh, also prayed for outreach uh, for Mm. all the evangelistic opportunities coming up over the next couple mm. of months or so. And uh, that's always a worthwhile thing to be asking the Lord to save people. So it was good. And then we did some more singing. And then my highlight of the night, this was <laughs> we went a little bit off reservation last night, and uh, I introduced the church to the doxology. Do oh, you know great. the doxology, yes. Kate? Of oh, course you do. Anglican background. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I did a bit of a show of hands and asked the people in the room who was familiar with the doxology. And I think everybody over the age of 40 knew it, and nobody under the age of 40 knew it except me. Hmm. And uh, so we taught it to them, right. and then we sung it a cappella to finish our time together. And it was beautiful. It was such a, a delightful kind of thing to be in that room with all those people all declaring the praise of our triune God. And Anyway, right. so we, we may, may bring that into the Sunday service at some point ah. in the future. That was, this was kind of my test balloon to see whether it would work. Right. And I think it worked. Okay. So, We'll see. It was it was delightful. Okay. Mm. Experiment was positive. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You didn't happen to record it, did you? Sad. Well, no. No, okay. I didn't. And that's probably for everyone's benefit because <laughs> you, you wouldn't want to hear my singing voice <laughs> in that. But um, no. Maybe maybe sometime we'll record it, though. Mm. Yeah. When you prayed about uh, what we've been learning in the series, mm. were there common themes that came up? Well, we prayed in groups, so I only heard ah, sort of sure. what my group was praying for. Okay. Uh, so I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, okay. Mm. It'd be interesting to hear. Mm. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into this because we've got a fair bit of ground to cover today. Mm. And we actually might start a bit more broadly and consider this passage as part of the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. So far, we've seen some really obvious links to the Beatitudes, like turn yeah. the other cheek, parallels with blessed are the merciful, first be reconciled to your brother, parallels with blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah. Does this passage have any link to the characteristics of the Beatitudes? I think it does, yeah. Um, there was actually a paragraph in my sermon draft earlier in the week that tried to bring some of this out, and then for the sake of brevity, I decided to cut <laughs> it out. But I think there's at least two obvious links between the instructions here at the end of Matthew 6 and the Beatitudes. The first is on Jesus' promise to the meek that mm-hmm. they will inherit the earth. The, the idea of being meek is about not asserting yourself and not demanding for yourself 
what what you are due or what you could have, but mm. rather being willing to give it up, put others first, that sort of thing. And Jesus' promise there in the Beatitudes is that if you live that way, you're not going to miss out on anything because you actually will be an inheritor of the earth. Mm. I think that's sounds very similar to his promise of not uh, to his instructions in Matthew 6 of not needing to store up treasures on earth but rather to live for the reward of heaven and know that what you're going to receive there is actually of greater worth than mm. what you could gather for yourself in this life. So I think that's certainly uh, one connection and the other one that I was thinking about I was perhaps a little bit less sure was uh, his words uh, for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and they will be filled. Um, I think that kind of language of hungering, thirsting is the it's asking about what is it that you are pursuing and giving yourself to in life. Are you, mm. in Jesus' words in Matthew 6, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? Is that what you're giving the orientation of your life towards? Mm. His promise in the Beatitudes is if, if you do that, you will be filled. And I think it sounds very similar, again, to the, um, the, the promise of reward in heaven and of that having been worthwhile if we give our life life direction to pursuing his kingdom and his righteousness. So, yeah, I think it is Jesus elaborating on some of those kind of ideas. Yeah, okay, that's helpful. Um, you went pretty hard fairly early on. As I want to do, <laughs> I did. That's right. Yeah. Would it be a Mark sermon if it that's right. had it been gentle and, and yeah. kind otherwise? Oh, sorry, it was kind. <laughs> um, you challenged us at WBC as a middle-class affluent church um, mm. that we likely have a problem with greed. Mm. Identifying To be um, clear, I want to put myself in that category as well. Oh, absolutely. I'm certainly not pointing yeah. a finger to others without not looking in the mirror myself. But yes, it's likely that we all struggle with it more than we're aware of, I think. Well it's the air we breathe, so yes. yeah. yeah. Um Identifying a church problem with a specific sin is not unusual mm. in the Bible. Paul mm -hmm. regularly rebuked churches in his letters. Yep. Should we be reflecting like this more often on broader church issues um, of sin or be rebuking our fellow churches in Wollongong the way that Paul did? Uh, good question. Um, I think I want to say the answer is a little bit yes, but mostly no to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the reason I would not stand up publicly and point the finger at another church in Wollongong by name and say, this church over here is dealing with this sin, they're guilty of this thing, because God has not made me shepherd of that church. He's made mm. me shepherd of this church, and that's my responsibility to um, help speak the truth and, mm. and train people to be aware of their own sinfulness, righteousness, uh, etc. So I, I don't think we have a, a mandate from God to do that as a church. However, um, I, I think I want to say out of Christian love, we ought to be concerned for all our brothers and sisters and for the honour of God's name. We want him, his name to be hallowed in the mm. world and we're not the only people who claim the name Jesus, so really how other people live for Jesus does matter to God. Uh, but we have to understand that we don't have an automatic authority or a right to mm. be the arbiters of uh, what is going on in other in other churches and to make public declarations about those things. I think in love, we can speak privately to people if we are aware of sin going on. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be certainly the right first step to do. Mm. Um, yeah, but I'd be very, very slow to, um, to ever step on a platform and start naming names and that sort of thing. Paul had a, and the apostles really have a unique authority in mm. the Bible. Uh, certainly as, as they are going around plant, preaching, planting, 
planting churches and raising up elders to lead those churches, I think the pattern you see in the New Testament is that it's the the local elders of that local church Mm. who are ultimately responsible for shepherding, protecting, teaching, feeding, guarding the flock. Mm. Uh, And you start to see the apostles sort of fade into the background as the church history progresses, really. And so I want to say that I don't think there's much of a role for a kind of an overarching arbiter, call it a denomination, Mm. if you will, um, to stand above a local church Mm. and to start adjudicating on what's going wrong in local churches. I think God has given that responsibility to each local church, to each body, um, to figure that out for themselves and to walk faithfully themselves with the help of the shepherds that God has raised up in that congregation. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it's wise that you put your energy into Mm. your flock and into your patch Yeah, uh, and then... If we come into contact with people yeah. super clear about yeah. how faithful we are being yes, yeah. um, and that we believe yeah. this is the right way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Um, you mentioned that treasures may not be physical things, but mm. could include relationships or leisure time. Uh, but a desire for rest and to enjoy relationships is good and biblical. Yeah. Um, how do I know when it's an earthly treasure that I need to give up and not just a healthy human need? It's um it's a really good question. It's not always immediately obvious, and um, especially when we are doing some reflection and introspection and trying to understand where uh, the the devotion of our life is going, we need to remember that the human heart is deceitful above all mm-hmm. things, and so uh, any any kind of reflection or awareness we come to as we look inwards, we have to take it with a grain of salt. So I might look at audit my my free time and think, oh, you know, I think I am. I'm, I'm not making an idol of that. I'm, I'm I'm I think I'm doing okay. I'm holding that in the right place in terms of priorities in my life. Mm-hmm. But I still have to come to that conclusion with a grain of salt because sin has impacted every part of my being. That's mm-hmm. what we believe in total depravity. And so my conclusion about how I'm how I'm going is probably going to be wrong sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it is very tricky to establish that. Um, I think that the the question is a worthwhile one to ask, even if the conclusion we come to has to be held a little bit loosely. How do I know whether I'm pursuing, um, you know, uh, leisure time or I'm idolizing family relationships and, and that sort of thing to the degree that Jesus would say it's an idol? Uh, from this, I, I, I take a a reasonable cue from Tim Keller. Mm. He helps diagnose uh, idols in people's lives in his book Counterfeit Gods and mm. in many other places as well. And the kind of the test that he suggests is the kind of uh, the, the question of what is it that if it was in jeopardy in your life, you would start to think, well, my life is not worth living at this point. Mm. If your family were to break down, would you reach the conclusion that my life's not worth living? Mm. If I suddenly had to, if I didn't have any free time, if the needs of others rose to such a prominence in my life that I had to spend every hour and minute of my life that was available to me serving others, would you come to the conclusion that your life's not worth living? If you mm. if you come to those kind of conclusions, it's pretty high likelihood that you've over-elevated that yeah. thing and it has become a functional kind of idol, which is really kind of what we're talking about here. Mm. Um, so I think of the of Jesus' instructions to the rich young ruler, uh, where he tells the the man to go and sell everything he has and give the money to the poor. Mm. The man comes. To, we we sort of infer that the man comes to the conclusion that he's not going to do that. He can't do that because he's too attached to his wealth, and so he goes away sad. Jesus has exposed the idol of this man who is unwilling to give this thing up. His life wouldn't be worth living if. 
he did give that thing up. And so I think perhaps that's the kind of process we ought to ask ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like, if the Lord asked me to let go of this thing, would I be okay with that? If not, well, then I probably should be concerned that maybe this thing has become something I'm I'm holding too tightly to. That is so confronting. Mm. Really, like... I think it'd be so normal for ninety nine percent of us to yeah. to be confronted with losing our entire family. Yes, yeah. I mean, I guess there's a journey to go through. Like it's, and God uses that. And there's stories out there. I'm sure. I don't know if you can think of anything off the top of your head of people who have lost everything. Have, have, have there, gone- there's there's a particular man that I'm thinking of who we're going to be spending all of next term uh, <laughs> studying. Yeah. His name's Joe. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. That's that's a good point. Okay, we might shelve that one yeah. then. We can talk about it. But I, I think when when we sort of establish, when we identify those things that are getting perilously close to being the treasure of our life, mm. we have to try to reprioritize and reorganize our lives and knock those things down the pecking order a little bit. And I think mm. um, the point that I tried to make on Sunday particularly in Matthew 6, you know, the main focus is, I think, on material possessions. Mm. The kind of the the logic of Jesus here is that the way you stop this thing from being overly elevated is you give it away and you Mm. use it for the kingdom. And so if you want to make sure that uh, your leisure time is not rising to the level of an idol, make a decision one week to say, you know what, my leisure time for this week is not my own. I'm going to give it away. Hmm. Whatever, how many hours it was I was planning on watching Netflix for or whatever, I'm going to use that to serve other people. Mm-hmm. Can I live that way? And test yourself. Give it away. Jesus promises where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it's quite likely, actually, that as you take those kind of steps of faith mm-hmm. and as you use that thing that, that might just be an idol and you give it away, you sever your connection with it, mm-hmm. that your heart will be reoriented to the Lord and to his kingdom and to his priorities. That's the kind of the logic there of verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Mm-hmm. Serve God this this week. Give up the thing that you uh, are worried about mm. and look for your heart to be reoriented towards what matters instead. Okay. Well, let's um, let's talk a bit more about what a heavenly treasure is on the back mm. of that because we've – I mean, it's really easy to talk about earthly treasures. Yeah. Yep. But um, let's explore a bit more what a heavenly treasure is. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, it's a little bit tricky f- just from this passage to come to a, a really clear understanding of – what Jesus means when he talks about treasure in heaven. Um, And I think that's partly because Jesus is not interested. He's not trying to define it for us here. He's making a different point. He's trying to contrast earthly treasure, heavenly treasure. And the contrast he's drawing out is the the temporary kind of fleeting nature of earthly treasure versus the lasting and eternal nature of heavenly treasure. So he's he's just putting those two things side by side and saying, don't choose one, choose the other. Mm Uh, but it, it begs the question then, what is the heavenly treasure? If I use my earthly blessings, my money, my relationships, my whatever, for the sake of God's kingdom, what is it that I get to look forward to then? What is mm-hmm. it that Jesus is promising here in effect? What is that treasure? Um, there are a few other hints, I think, in the Bible about what the reward is in heaven. So, for instance, in Luke chapter 16, verse 9, um, which is the the in the midst of the parable of the shrewd manager, uh, Jesus says, uh, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And there, Jesus seems to be suggesting that you can use your 
earthly treasure, your wealth, to foster relationships that are of lasting eternal value. Mm. So I think he's probably talking about seeing people enter into the kingdom, mm. using your earthly wealth for, for that. So perhaps that's the treasure he's referring to here is people, people who are going to experience eternal life and you're going to have fellowship with for all eternity. It's also possible uh, Luke 19 is, is one that can perhaps helps us figure this out, which is the parable of the t- of the ten meaners, where the servants are told to put their master's money to work. And when the master comes back and sees what they've done, he rewards them and gives them responsibility over certain numbers of cities, depending on how productive they've been with his uh, his money. And so perhaps the parallel there, I don't think we're going to be, you know, made governors of cities in <laughs> heaven as such. I think it's a it's a metaphor, but perhaps the metaphor is some sense of responsibility or privilege that's mm. going to be given to the fruitful and faithful servants in heaven. Maybe that's what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 6, that kind of reward of being entrusted with more in heaven. Mm. Ultimately, I I guess I don't really know. Um, mm. I think it's left a little bit undefined in the Bible. But I think the thing that is clear is that whatever these heavenly rewards, heavenly treasures are going to be, that we are going to experience a fullness of joy in that, mm. that there's not going to be a sense of having missed out or that this consolation prize was somehow, you know, is a bit of a wooden spoon or anything. I mm. think uh, the, the consistent picture of our experience in heaven uh, being welcomed, being uh, commended as good and faithful servants and the life that we are then to live uh, at in God's presence forevermore is one of complete satisfaction and gladness. So mm. I guess I just want to emphasize that even as we don't necessarily know fully and finally what the reward is, Mm. uh, we can have confidence that it's going to be good and Mm. it's going to be worthwhile. Mm. Well, as we wait for that reward and for that treasure, can you offer practical advice on how to keep an eternal perspective when life on earth can sometimes feel long and eternity can feel far away? Yeah, and... um it can I, I I feel this as well. It can feel from time to time like uh, as christians you you have to re- live with this sense of delayed gratification all the time that uh, we shouldn't expect our commendation and our praise from people here on earth. We shouldn't mm-hmm. live for that working for the praise of our Heavenly Father when we meet Him face to face. We're not working for earthly rewards here and now. We forego those things. We wait for a heavenly reward. So, you know, there is that sense of like, oh, like I'm not getting anything in this life. Mm. It's all going to promise to me in the next. Uh, and I, I, I wrestle with that from time to time as well. I guess something that I think to myself in those kind of moments where serving and pursuing um, the good of other people, working for the kingdom is just tiring and draining and you don't feel that kind of immediate sense of reward that you mm. would if you were just hoarding earthly treasure for yourself. Yeah. I try and remember actually that there are immediate earthly temporal, if you want to call that, rewards that we get through pursuing God's righteousness and God's mm. kingdom. Things, Blessings that we experience here on earth in this life that are of great value that perhaps we just kind of overlook or ignore. And so I try and remind myself of those things that Actually, as we labor for the cause of the gospel now, we get to meet and forge new family relationships mm-hmm. here as new brothers and sisters join the family of God mm-hmm. and we, our family suddenly gets to expand. That's a tremendous blessing that we get mm-hmm. in this life if we live for the kingdom as we pursue his causes. Not only that, we actually, as we seek to, to invest in uh, God's kingdom, we grow in Christ-likeness. And that is in itself a great reward, that we get to 
uh, be more conformed to the likeness of our Savior. That brings with it joy and gladness and mm. delight as we live in line with God's righteousness. So that I guess I'm, I'm trying to remind myself that there are good things that God is giving me right now. Yes, he is promising ultimate satisfaction and ultimate happiness mm. in the future, but even now he's being exceedingly kind to us mm. and rewarding us in all sorts of ways. Mm. And so I think it kind of comes down to um, – how do you how do you keep going? How do you keep pursuing God's kingdom and righteousness and serving uh, and investing in the, the the expansion of God's kingdom? You've got to make sure you're not looking for the same type of reward in this life that mm. the rest of the world are looking for. If we're thinking that as we do that, life's going to get easier, <laughs> we've got our kind of priorities wrong there. That's mm. that's not the uh, the right way to think of it. Life's probably actually going to get harder, and uh, we're probably going to enter into suffering more as mm. we as we give ourselves more in that direction. Uh, so, having the right kind of reward that we are looking for in this life really helps. And as I suggested on Sunday, I think the other thing that really does help us is to be reminded of those big eternal realities that I suggested we all have a responsibility to one another to remind ourselves of, that mm. God is a loving Heavenly Father, that He knows what we need, that heaven's our home, that earth is our mission field, mm. that we're pilgrims passing through, that the world in its present form is passing away and we can't take anything with us. I think when those truths really are set like concrete as a mm. foundation for your life, it becomes a lot easier to press on. Mm. But where those things are doubted, it becomes very hard to press on. So I think we have to reassure one another this is true. Remember that this life, you've only got a few decades left and that nothing that you build up on this life is coming with you to the next life. You know, those kind of conversations with one another when mm. we're feeling a bit un, a bit unmotivated can really mm. be helpful for seeing us press on. Yeah, okay. And I, I feel super encouraged by the, the corporate nature of, of, of what the reward's going to be being in perfect relationship with God, but perfect relationship with each other. Yeah. And I think when there's seasons or moments on earth when church life is yeah. going really well and healthy or even in interpersonal relationships, yeah, I'm like, that's a good, that. exactly. Mm. That's a bit of a shot in the arm. Yes, definitely. Um, that just, oh, I got goosebumps. It just gets me excited. <laughs> and, and this is nothing compared to what it will be. That's right. Um, okay. Well, Sunday was a bit special. So it, was it was Serve Sunday. Serve Sunday, yeah. Um, and I was really thrilled to hear from the volunteers that got up and shared. Yeah. It was delightful. It was very encouraging, wasn't uh, it? It was, it was great. Yeah. Um, so this is our annual time to reflect on our commitment and service to the kingdom. And mm. it's an invitation to put our hand to the plough, as it were. Um, but there are seasons when we need to or choose to step back from formal service at church. How should we think of service in these instances where the role may not be obvious or have an official title or schedule? Yeah, um, I, I guess the first thing I want to say is um, that I think it's fully appropriate. I didn't get to sort of give this caveat on Sunday, but it is fully appropriate. There are seasons in life where our capacity to be involved in formal ways is greatly diminished or non-existent, and that's mm. totally appropriate. Uh, we're not trying to make serving at church a law um, it's, this is not a legalistic thing. Uh, rather, we want to see, treat this as an opportunity that God has given to us to use the gifts that he's given to us. Um, so I don't want any, uh, you know, parents of young children who are just, you know, sleep deprived out of their mm -hmm. mind right now to feel guilty about this. I don't want anyone who's sick or infirmed, physically incapable of serving to feel guilty about this. Mm -hmm. uh, that's certainly not, not my intention. And in fact, um, I want to, 
in some ways elevate the informal ways that we serve one another to be of even greater importance than the formal ways. So being on a roster, being in a ministry team here at church, getting involved in some formal way, it's a wonderful thing to do, Mm. uh, but it's actually less important than the simple discipling and investing and loving and helping of other Christians at church to follow Jesus. And that happens in informal ways all the time. Our goal with church is not to build the church uh, kind of machine to be as big as possible, to create as many volunteer positions as possible so that we have to get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of volunteers to, to make this thing run. We actually want the church to kind of just have a minimum effective dose of programs and ministries in order to do the things that we think God is calling us to do. Uh, so that more people are freed up mm. for that kind of natural evangelism, mm. natural discipling of one another, reading the Bible, praying, loving, all those kinds of things. That being said, I do think that there is actually a great help in choosing to get involved formally in a ministry team at church mm. and then doing informal helping of one another to follow Jesus. I think they actually feed each other. So I think you're more likely to be a natural discipler and a natural investor in the lives of others if you formally give yourself to a ministry team and mm. make a commitment to there. I think the disciplines that that teaches you mm. and the priorities that forces you to have shape your life in a way that you become a person who is more natural at just mm. investing in other people. And I think the the other is, is also true as well. Mm. To be honest, I'm kind of sceptical of people who say, I don't want to get involved in something formally at church because I'm just too busy informally you know, loving people and, and discipling and helping others follow Jesus. Mm. I kind of think, well, I think if, if that was true, there'd be evidence of your heart wanting to do this thing at church as well and, mm. and to give yourself to these sort of uh, in these sort of ways. Um, yeah, and I actually think that at one of the interviews that we had on Sunday, uh, the brother talked about how serving formally has given him a whole bunch of opportunities to have fellowship and ha- build mm. relationships with people who he can then serve informally. So mm. these things are very closely connected, but uh, we certainly do want to foster both. Mm. Uh, but please hear me saying that the the informal stuff is the – that's the bread and butter. The yeah. formal stuff is kind of the stuff that we need in order to do the things that God has given us to do as a church. Yeah, it's certainly formative being mm. part of um, formal ministry. Yeah, Definitely. absolutely. Mm. Um, we might circle back to wealth. Sure. Uh, you know, if you're up for – Toing and froing. Um, I'm just going to read verse 24. Mm. So it says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Is there a more real or significant danger for people who have great wealth to despise God based on this verse? Um, yes and no. <laughs> um, the natural human condition is to despise God. That is what fallen humanity does. Um, it's not something that only rich people do. So mm. I, I kind of want to just be clear about that. The Bible has categories for both uh, the righteous rich and the unrighteous rich, and the righteous poor and the unrighteous poor. All four of those things exist in the Bible. So it's not a case of just if you're rich, you're unrighteous, and if you're poor, you're righteous. That's a very gross oversimplification mm. of what the Bible says. So let's not let's not believe that. However, you'd have to say there are an abundance of warnings mm. towards the rich and about the dangers of wealth in the Bible. Matthew 19, Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
Uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Uh, Paul also talks in 2 Timothy about Demas, who deserted Paul because he loved the world. 1 John, uh, the Apostle John warns about loving the world or anything in the world. And if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. Those reminders about the world and its desires were passing mm. away. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. So clearly, wealth is a serious danger. Mm. And so, for us who have been blessed with a huge abundance, we are some of the richest people who have ever lived on the face of the planet. Mm. These verses are talking to us. Mm. It's not just talking to the one percent of Australia, the richest, you know, billionaires and whatever. This is talking to us, and mm. so we have to take this very seriously. And I think the best thing that we can do to be on guard against the seductiveness of wealth is to give it away. As I said before, Mm. when we're worried about those things that might be becoming idols in our life, we have to sever that connection. Uh, And I think that's true both individually. We ought to give wealth away as a means of directing our hearts, but also as a church as well. We have to make sure that our money is going to causes outside of ourselves. If our Mm. budget, for example, as a church only reflects concerns of WBC, that's a really unhealthy kind Mm. of position for us to be in as a church. It's why we want to remain committed to sending as much money as we can to mission partners elsewhere to see Mm. the work of the gospel happen elsewhere. If we're just interested in building our own kingdom, then yes, great danger to be had there. So I do think that there's a a real um, sobriety that this passage is calling for as we look at our bank balances and our budgets and those sort of things individually and as a church. Sure. Okay. Well, let's round it out and um, we'll we'll spend the end of the episode talking about worry. Mm. Uh, you said it was unnecessary and unproductive. Yes. Is Unworthy as well. Un- unworthy. Yes, mm. you did. Um, is worry sinful? Does it demonstrate a lack of trust in God? Um, I think the worry that Jesus is specifically warning against here or, or in, um, directing against here, yes, is sinful. Um, I don't think all worry is sinful, all anxiety is sinful, to be clear. There are uh, physical, psychological um, bases for these things, Mm. which suffering from uh, anxiety and whatnot is not in in and of itself automatically sinful. Mm. Um, However, what Jesus is specifically referring to here is around that kind of, uh, will I be provided for, will I have Will I be taken care of by God um, if I choose to prioritize him and use the treasure that he's given me for the sake of his kingdom? If you're worried about that to the point where you have to fret and hoard for yourself because you you don't think he's going to provide, I think Jesus would say, yes, that is sinful. Tim Keller um, has this quote that uh, has has stuck with me over the years where he said that worry is not believing that God will get it right. And bitterness is believing that God got it all wrong. Uh, Mm. So when we worry, uh, we are fearing that God is not going to get it right Um, or perhaps even that he's not capable of getting it right. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not powerful enough to actually take care of me here. But either way, we're we're looking into the future and we're thinking God's not going to – he's not going to do the thing he's promised to do uh, or he's going to get it wrong. And I think that that kind of an attitude is, in a sense, a blasphemy against Mm. God. Um, we've been reading uh, Jen Wilkins' book, 10 Words to mm. Live By, this term, and as she talks uh, about the commandment to not take the Lord's name in vain, what she sort of explains there is that that's a commandment not to misrepresent the Lord. Yeah. 
not to show him to the world to be somebody other than who he actually is. Mm. And so if you're worrying to the point that you are communicating something about God that is not true, then, yeah, I think that is sinful. That's a, it's a breaking of this commandment. And so um, for anyone who's, who's feeling that way, I want to, yeah, sort of land with the force of Jesus here mm. that such a thing is unfitting for a Christian. It's unnecessary. It doesn't help you. It's unproductive. Mm. And it's unworthy. It's, it, it's showing you to be just like a pagan if those are the things that you're worried about here. They run after these things because they don't think that there is a God who's a loving father who's going to take care of them. Mm. How can you as a Christian behave the same way? You you mustn't. So, mm. yeah, I think I think we ought to feel that that sense of rebuke there pretty strongly if, mm. if that's us that could be hard to swallow mm. if you know that i'm sure there have been or are people in a congregation who are genuinely worried about having clothing yes. and meals and Definitely. will there be any money in my account tomorrow yep. um how would you speak into that specific situation yeah well so i think it, it bears to um verse 33 the second half of that promise there seek first god's kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well there's kind of no ambiguity around that jesus yeah. you know has a promise here to be clear this is not a it's not a um a promise of payment this is not wages mm. that that god is giving to us if we do this this is rather uh, a reflection of his character as a loving father who knows the needs of his children mm. and, and knows how to take care of them. I think we have to read those verses. I, I do remember when I became a Christian, my first year, I had a Bible study leader at university who, as we were studying this passage, told me that he believed that promise meant that no true Christian will ever starve. And I remember thinking, oh, boy, that wow. doesn't seem right. <laughs> I mean, surely there are... Fa- yeah. No. Um, and so I think we have to read this promise kind of like wisdom literature. In sure. fact, a lot of the Sermon on the Mount does feel a bit like wisdom literature mm. in terms of, yes, this is a, 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 a truism here, uh, but there's there's more to be said about this thing than just, just this word. And so I think we have to read it uh, in light of some of the other things that Jesus said about how God's people are going to be provided for and what the life uh, of a follower who gives up all to follow him mm. is going to look like. So Mark chapter 10 uh, is that part where Jesus reminds us that anyone who's left uh, home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel. So he's talking here about giving up your life to follow him. He says, no one in that category will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, Hmm. homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So certainly a promise from Jesus there that giving these things up, yes, it sort of sounds risky, but there is going to be a a reward that comes certainly in eternal life. But even Mm. in this present age, Jesus says, Mm. some of those blessings that we talked about earlier that we get when we live this way Mm. of family relationships in the family of God, et cetera, et cetera. Jesus says, yes, that's that's part of what you're going to get in this life. Mm. You can bank on that. And so I think that the... Jesus' words here are in Matthew 6 that all these things will be added to you as well. You will mm. not go without. You will not lack. Is a, Ideally, it's a promise that the, the family of God is going to take care of you, that actually mm. what you enter into now as a member of God's kingdom living in this earth is uh, the kind of people who love and sacrifice for the good of others mm. and therefore your needs will be met. Certainly that's mm. the pattern that you see throughout the New Testament of God's people 
when they have plenty, supplying for others' need, and then vice versa as mm. well. You certainly see it throughout the book of Acts as the church starts to be organized, that the those who are in need are taken care of amongst the family of God. And mm. so for anyone in our church who's feeling that way, I want to reassure them that there are our intention is to to care for and to provide for the needs of of you. Mm. And so if if that's something that we can help with, then please come and speak to us, make mm-hmm. yourself known and, and what your needs are, and we can see what we can do. Uh, we have money set aside as a mm. church for these kinds of contingencies where people's daily bread is perhaps in jeopardy and we don't don't know where their next meal is coming from, mm. then there are ways for us to help and support financially as a church and certainly relationally and spiritually and all those kind of things as well. Mm. But it is, it is a real concern, but I just mm. yeah, don't want to oversimplify the promise of Jesus here that you're, he's, not, he's not saying your bank balance is never going to reach zero. That's not what this promise is. Rather, it's a, a promise that what you're entering into mm. is a, a rich and a blessed community that is mm. going to take care of you and that we know for sure in eternal life will we'll, uh, prove to have all been worth it. Whatever we give up, we'll mm. receive a hundredfold. Hmm. I think it's a wonderful reality um, at WBC, actually, that this happens. Mm, like in the 15 months that I've been here, I've seen it multiple times. And and really like urgent stuff, last minute, yeah. out of the blue, people are cared for. Yeah. That's really encouraging. Mm. That's a really great spot to wrap up. Thank you so much, Mark. There was a lot there. Thank you for sharing. Thanks and for, for stepping in. <laughs> That's okay. I'm not going to pretend I wasn't excited. I'm sad that Sarah's sick, but... Um, <laughs> I'm happy to be here. <laughs> thank you, Mike, for everything you do behind the scenes. Good to be here. And thank you to listening. Um, go well, and we'll see you next time. This has been a Wollongong Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons and deeper podcasts and also find information about our Sunday services at our website, wollongongbaptist.org.